Hi, I'm Jalen Rose, and welcome to the Renaissance Man Podcast, proudly presented by the New York Post. Next up, we have WWE superstar Titus O'Neil. I'm so inspired by this brother and what he's been able to do in and out of the ring. Titus talks to us about playing college football at the University of Florida, how Batista got him into professional wrestling, and how giving back is his biggest accomplishment. Let's go. Hi, I'm Jalen Rose, and welcome to the Renaissance Man Podcast, proudly presented by the New York Post, a show where we cover trends in fashion, entertainment, current events, and everything in between. You know the rules. Download the podcast. Tell a friend to tell a friend. Don't be selfish. Don't keep this love, this game, this soul food all to yourself. Share it with your family. Share it with your friends. This week's theme is Superstar. Have you ever met someone and after interacting with them, just felt like there was something special about them? A je ne sais quoi that you couldn't quite put your finger on, but they just gave off good energy. Growing up, there were so many people in my life that gave me that je ne sais quoi. Some of them were actual superstars, like my godfather, one of the top 50 players of all time in the NBA, Dave Bing, who not only had a steel company as a Hall of Fame basketball player, but went on to become the mayor of Detroit. He had it. But you know who else had it? Somebody that wasn't famous. A couple of people in my family that were tied to the same name, Paramore. Let's start with Senior first, i.e. Big Daddy. Bainbridge, Georgia is the scene. We drive from Detroit each summer to go have our family reunions. Sometimes it took 15 hours. Depending on if our Uncle Paramore got us lost, it could take over 20 hours. If you've ever been to Bainbridge, Georgia, I would say it's extreme country. But you know what my grandfather was? An entrepreneur. He had Hicks Grocery, a penny candy store that sold juice, that sold water, and he converted his garage into the store. He was an entrepreneur, always dressed nice, always a fly hat, Always had a a handshake for me with money in it. He called me Long Boy. That was my nickname. He always had a bankroll. And he used to always tell me, because he was a cigarette smoker, don't smoke cool, be cool. And I've never tried to smoke a cigarette to this day. Rest in peace, Big Daddy. I told you somebody else was tied to that name. Paramore Hicks Jr., the oldest of four. My mother's oldest brother. And I lost him a couple of years ago. It really hurt. He was so very talented, had a big smile, a terrific artist. So many times I would be riding downtown as a high school kid, hanging out with my friends. I would see my uncle with a crowd around him. People are cheering and in awe of him doing magic tricks, of him drawing people pictures, of him playing the dozens. I miss my Uncle Pelmore. I miss Big Daddy, but I'll carry on their legacy. They taught me that anyone can be a superstar because all it is, is a mind state. It's how you carry yourself. It's how you talk to people, how you make them feel after interacting with you. Radiate positive energy. Give off good vibes. Love yourself and be thankful for all that you have and all that's to come. Stay fresh. Feel good. Feel fly. Throw on a piece of jewelry or something unique that makes you feel good. Let your favorite song play in your head as you walk out the door. I do it all of the time. 
Ain't no stopping us now. Shout to Whitehead and McFadden. You don't have to be famous. Today, tomorrow, every day. Just be a superstar. Our next guest was born to shine. He experienced so much adversity since birth in roles to become one of the biggest superstars in the WWE. Coming up, we talk about his transition from college football to pro wrestling, putting on for the cues and the importance of giving back. Next up, Titus O'Neil. What up, dope? My next guest is a WWE superstar. You can find this brother in the ring, choke slamming his opponents. But you know what also makes me happy? You can find him in his community, giving back to the youth and the less fortunate. It's an honor for me to welcome to the Renaissance man, the very talented Titus O'Neill. What's up, man? How are you? All good, my brother. I appreciate the love. So for our audience, where did you grow up and were you always athletic? <laughs> so I, I uh, went to high school in a, a small town in, in called Live Oak, Florida. I'm originally from Boynton Beach, Florida, which is down actually where Lamar Jackson's from that area. And, uh, you know, nobody would ever have, you know, people always told me I was too clumsy to play sports. You know, as a kid, I was long and linky and, uh, you know, and, and just I wore a size, I think, 14. At 12 years old, so I was I was I was falling over myself on a lot of occasions. But uh, obviously, being able to go to Live Oak, get away from you know home, get away from a situation where you know I'm a product of a sexual assault. So born of a young mother, um, my mom was 12 years old when she had me, and uh, you know I was labeled a kid that would be a bad kid, and that, so it was never expected for me to graduate from high school, graduate from college, or go to college, play any sports. And so me getting the opportunity to go to the Florida Shares Boys Ranch in Live Oak, Florida, uh, not only gave me a safe place to go and a place to grow, but also gave me an opportunity to, you know, become the athlete that I would eventually become. Oh, wow, my brother. And so without trying to drum up any pain or depression or anxiety, um, your story is one of strength. And you mentioned being born as the product of a sexual assault to a mother that was 12 years old. So please for the audience and for other brothers like ourselves that grow up in broken homes, single parent homes like myself, what was that experience like for you and your mom? Well, you know, I hated my mom for a young majority of my young adult life. You know, and I have three younger brothers, you know, um, and, uh, you know, I was 17 years old when I found out how I was conceived, you know, all those years, uh, you know, I just thought me and my mom didn't get get along just because my mom was a horrible mom. But, you know, she drove up to Live Oak, Florida. I was doing really well in school, really well in academics. I was like an all-state player, you know, on the football field and basketball, et cetera. And uh, my mom never came up to the boys' ranch. And that was by design, because while they were working on me, they were working on her back home. And, uh, um, you know, 
it was a meeting that came about. She came up. She she thought it was the appropriate time since everything was going so well to tell me how, you know, I was conceived. And she was, uh, you know, um, it was very tough for her. But obviously, she had lived for years because uh, the guy that I that was saying that he was my dad, I knew he wasn't my dad. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, right. We all know, you know, sometimes. And exactly. uh, but uh, you know, growing up poor, you know picked on because I had high water pants and shoes that talked and thick glasses. My nickname was Eyes. You know, I get into a fight, my glasses get broken. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it was a lot of trauma before I was even 12 years old that I realized, you know, now we look at it now, and it, which is one of the driving factors and why I do so much for youth in underserved communities because, you know, uh, I, I wrote a book, you know, Cheap Plug on your, pod, on your podcast, you know, that there's no such thing as a bad kid. And that's because that's what I was always labeled, you know? And then a guy at the Florida Sheriff's Boys Ranch told me that there's no such thing as a bad kid. And he wouldn't give me the answer as to why he said that. He said, because he said that I would grow and, and, and get better and I would come up with the answer for myself. So when my mom told me, you know, how I was conceived, all that hate that I had towards my mom instantly turned into love because I realized that she was a, a kid trying to raise a kid. She was driven from St. Augustine, Florida at 11 years old, down to Boynton Beach, Florida to have an abortion. She jumped out of the car and said she wasn't gonna do it. And uh, and months later, you know, um, I was born. And so uh, I can, you know, I can empathize and sympathize with a lot of kids, you know, female and male, that grow up in the hood or grow up with, you know, one parent or no parents, um, you know, foster care system, you know, for the most part, in my opinion, it's become a big money grab for a lot of people. There are some genuine people out there that want to, you know, uh, foster a child or adopt children, you know, and uh, unfortunately, a lot of the times, young black children or children with disabilities don't get, you know, adopted at nowhere near the rate that others do. And so, um, for me, being able to have the opportunity to go to the boys ranch, it, you know, I was one of only three or four black kids on campus. I had to call a white woman, mom and pop. Um, you know, I, I'm the same dude, never grew up with a, with a, with a dad in the house, you know, mm-hmm. and um, it was a culture shock for me. But I would tell any and everybody, regardless of race, color, creed, religion, background, wherever you come from, like we're all one situation away from being in a worse situation. We're also all one situation away from being in a better situation. And for those that, of us that have a platform and have an opportunity to uh, to make life better for others, and you don't have to be on television, you don't have to make a lot of Correct. money. Mm-hmm. You know, some of the most influential people in my life were like school teachers or yes. uh, high school football coaches, the little league football coaches, and you know they don't make any money. So, like, I do this show and. The beauty of the show is I cover trends in fashion, entertainment, current events. But my real goal is to interview people that I admire and also people that have overcome so much turbulence in their lives that we now see you as a finished product, especially as a black man. But underestimate the pain, the anxiety, the depression, all of the things, the trauma that we've had to overcome. And you're 6'4", 260, 70 pounds, right? Mm -hmm. And being 6'8", 
I was taught, and I'm pretty sure you heard this, because what you said, I went through. I was poor. We boil water to wash up. Mayonnaise sandwiches, sugar water. My mother had a car, a Chrysler Cordoba. We used to sit at the light, and I used to move the mat and put my hand and feet on the ground like the first phone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See what I'm saying? And so I termed this episode superstar, right? Because we know and appreciate you for that now. But also, you're still like all of us, a flawed human being. And how has that counseling, how has that mental support that you constantly continue to get, what factor has that played in you to not only keep your sanity, but allow you to continue to function and juggle all of the things that you need to juggle professionally and personally? Yeah, I I think, uh, you know, for for me, like not growing up with a father, you know, even though me me and my ex-wife, my mother's kid, uh, the mother to my children, Mm -hmm. have been divorced now for almost 13 years. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've always said, even from a young age, because I saw my best friend, dad get murdered. And he was like a, a, a big drug dealer, known drug dealer, et cetera. But to my best friend, he was he was a hero. You know, sure. the guy bought shoes. He made sure like he helped single moms out with like whoever couldn't pay for, you know, football, you know, equipment or registration fees and rewarded kids that made the honor roll, his kids, you know, and he was like always telling the son, don't be like me, you know, don't be like me, be better than me. And when he lost his dad, you know, to some people, they were like, oh, he was a drug dealer. He deserved that life, this and that, blah, blah, blah. But to him, he was a hero. And as a young kid, I said, if I ever have the opportunity to be a father, I want to be a hero to my kids first. Because if I'm a hero to my kids, there's a pretty good chance I'm going to be the hero to everybody else. Mm-hmm. And my Oldest son just turned 17, just accepted, you know, he just committed to go to UCF to play football uh, next next year, you know, on a full scholarship. Um, Very excited about him. I have a a young, uh, a big young 14-year-old, about to be 15-year-old, who will be in the same position two years from now, heavily recruited. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the most important thing is these kids are like great, great human beings. And... I get phone calls and text messages all the time when I'm out of town or on the road or whatever. Oh, I met your son today. He was so polite. Oh, I met your son today and he helped my, my son out uh, with, with X, Y, and Z. For me, having a great relationship with my children has helped me have a great relationship, greater relationship with everybody else because I'm at peace every single day that I come home. And, you, you know, as a parent, I don't care what kind of day I have. Coming home today, even if them being 15 and 17, is no different than when I when they were one and two. They greet me the same way. Hey, Dad, what's up, man? I love you. You know, we talk about our day, this and that. Before they go to bed, they'll come and knock on my door and say, all right, good night, Dad. I love you. You know, this and that. We hug each other. We do a lot of stuff together. So that enables me as a, as a man, period. You know, aside from Black men, because I hear all the time that Black men you know, absentee fathers and this and that. They don't want to, you know, talk about the systemic issues that reside around black men not being in the home or okay. um, uh, or or that black people are all on welfare when white people are on welfare at a much higher rate than we are. But that doesn't get talked about in the media. 
So it's my responsibility now to have this balance of being a father first and then taking care of whatever else, you know, that I prioritize, maintaining relationships with great people, taking care of my business from a financial standpoint so that I can continue to give my kids the best life possible because I don't want them to have the life nowhere near the life that I had, just like you wouldn't want for yours to have for you. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but also too, everything that I do from a community standpoint, like I do it big, I do it grand, I do it with dignity because, you know, these families that are in need, they're accustomed to being told, oh, you're only good enough to live in this kind of house. You're only good enough to drive this kind of car. You're only good enough to eat this kind of food. Mm-hmm. And so I don't, even at, at our back to school bash where I have 35, 40,000 people at Raymond James Stadium. I don't, I don't have any food out there that I would not feed or eat myself. When we do stuff at with kids or we do we take them on trips, I would not put them on a bus that I would not ride on. I would not put them in a car that I would not ride in. I would not feed them what I wouldn't eat because at some point in their life, as they get older, they'll remember the dignity that you bestowed upon them. And they'll also remember the class that when they get in a position to do certain things, like we're, we're going to do it like this. And I want to ask you a couple of questions about your athletic prowess. I appreciate your humility saying that you went to Florida. But, dog, you played for Steve Spurrier. He's one of the greatest coaches of all time. And while you were there, you were one of the best programs in the country. So what was that experience like? Man, I, my, my experience, you know, at the University of Florida was second to nothing else in my life. You know, um, I, it was a, a place where, you know, we knew every week we were going to play on national TV. At some point, we were like, as you said, to that point uh, earlier um, when you were describing it, we, we, were, we were one of the top programs in the country year in and year out. And uh, Coach Burrier won't love to win. You know, and uh, I had a, a lot of amazing uh, teammates um, that were, you know, great on and off the field. And, and, you know, to see some of them like now utilizing their platform, like Fred Taylor, you know, uh, with the I Am Athlete podcast and, you know, Channing yep, Crowder. Um, you know, to see them now take, you know, the, the sport of football um, and and utilize it to better the lives of others. Um you know, it, it, to me, it makes my time at Florida even more enjoyable because we have, we had so much talent that was on our teams. And now majority of those guys are still being, you know, they're not playing, but they're still playing at a high level when it comes to like putting smiles on people's faces and putting joy in people's hearts. And, uh, you know, national championship, two SEC championships, mm-hmm. always played in a bowl game. Um, a New Year's Six Bowl game, and uh, but more importantly, too, like I, I was able to get you know two college degrees from the University of Florida. Mm. Um, I graduated undergrad in three years and got my master's in my fourth year. And uh, I was vice president of student government, which is why I hate politics to this day. Mm. Um, and uh, you know, I was able to do a lot of game changing stuff, like we talk about now the NIL you know, and, and colleges now being athletes being able to be paid. I was one of the first people to fight in 1997, along with other student athletes in the SEC to have 
student athletes be able to even make money during, you know, like while they were in school, because so many programs had abused that 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 uh, opportunity by having exactly. you know, guy guy at a, at a wash at a, at a, at a car, you know at a car wash making fifteen thousand dollars you know, working at a car wash, <laughs> and then they just cut everything off, you know what I'm saying? Yes, indeed. Um, working yeah. two days a week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, um, you know, my argument was, man, I came from nothing, you know what I'm saying? And, and my mom ain't sending me no money in, in, in college, and I'm out here working and working hard, and yeah, the scholarship helps pay for school, but, like, I want to be able to take my girlfriend to the movies. I want to be able to put gas in the car. I want to be able to do the same thing this other college student's doing. Um, and I think all the athletes should be able to do that. You know, if a regular college student wanted to start their own YouTube channel and they started making money off that, there's no issues with it whatsoever. But you're telling me to be a student athlete. Correct. Well, if I'm being a student and an athlete, the student part of me says, you know what? I'm supposed to get come to school and get the best grades possible to earn a degree so that whether football basketball or whatever sport that I'm playing pans out or not, I'm in a position to generate income to support and, 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 and live my family and to live a blessed, as blessed life as I possibly can. The NCAA has for years robbed athletes of this opportunity, and yet they've made billions off the backs of athletes. So to me, like this is a very small step, but here's the kicker to it. All right, I'm in Florida. So all our Florida schools, they, they're in a much different situation than if you go to school in Georgia, because in Georgia, you got to give 70% of your earnings back to the university. That's nonsense. Yeah. So how, you know, as an athlete, now that I have this NIL and this and that, and, and a lot of schools will be like, yeah, we, we, we you know, they're, they're talking about the NIL and they'll try to use that to recruit kids and this and that. They don't really want that because they don't want nobody to become bigger than the brand, right? Mm -hmm. So you go to these schools like UCF that, like, they're building something. You know what I'm saying? You go to a, a, a school, you know, Appalachian State, places like that. Like, like, they're they they're building on something, you know? Schools have been a power five and been in the top five and this and that. They're going to get millions no matter what. They're going to have 85, 90,000 people in the stands no matter what, right? Mm -hmm. So an athlete, you know, deciding that he's going to sit out because, you know, he can make $100,000, you know, a year doing something as opposed to going and beating his body up and then making 100000 but then only getting 30000 of that. And then on top of that, when taxes come out, you know, now you drop down to like, you know, what, 21, 18000 something like that. Mm -hmm. So all your work is not really helping you or your family. You know, um, so I'm glad that, you know, so many athletes have stood up up to this point. Um, and even the corps now are starting to say, no, you know, this is not right. You know what I'm saying? And it hadn't been right for years. And man, if we can turn those tables in other situations, the, the social justice, stuff, uh, the justice system, banking, education, you know, housing, your housing. Yeah. If we can start flipping that that script on on, on on in those realms now you got people well, regardless of what color you are that but poverty it affects everybody but now you get a chance 
for everybody that's in poverty to actually start making real advancements. The theme for this episode, my brother, again, is superstar. You're one of the WWE's biggest. Did you grow up watching professional wrestling? If so, who was your favorite WWE entertainer? So growing up, you know, I, uh, I, I watched it through a couple of different eras. So my first favorite was Junkyard Dog. My dog from Detroit, baby. Yeah, yeah. And uh, one of those reasons was, was because he was so charismatic. And, and, you know, I remember him being, I remember watching a, a match of his. He was in Green Bay, Wisconsin. And he had won the match. And then a bunch of white wrestlers stormed, uh, stormed the, uh, the, uh, the, the ring. And they beat, beat him down, beat him down, beat him down. And the entire stadium in Green Bay, Wisconsin, was booing the hell out of the, the, these white superstars for beating down Junkyard Dog. Mm -hmm. I said, man, that dude's a hero. Because yeah. regard, if you can get people in Green, like Lily White, Green Bay, Wisconsin, at that time, that love you like that, I want to be like that dude. You know what I mean? I want to be mm -hmm. like that guy. And then obviously with a progression, pr progressing, Ric Flair, Dwayne the Rock Johnson, all-time favorite, um, along with Stone Cold Steve Austin, because they were, you know, they were they were at the, at at the top of everything, the attitude. And, and the swagger and all that stuff that came along with both of them. And it's like, you know, yeah, I would love to go in and be able to slap my teacher because I, I didn't have a boss <laughs> at the time. You know, they, he, he was pretty much beating up on Vince McMahon and like, you know, going to the hospital and beating them up. Like watching that stuff on TV is like, yeah, man, I, 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 I love this stuff. I never thought in a million years that I would be, be doing it. But one of my best friends is Dave Batista, who was also a... Uh, uh, former WWE superstar, now he's a movie star. Um, and, uh, you know, he, he encouraged me to at least give it a try. And I walked in the back door of FCW, which is now called NXT uh, now. And, uh, you know, two weeks later, after I walked in the back door, I became a w I learned how to, was learning how to become a WWE superstar. And now, I'm, as you see it in the back, I'm a member of the WWE Hall of Fame as the Warrior Award recipient. And, uh, yeah, so I'm I'm uh, forever immortalized with every other great that's been you know a part of this business. Still there, still, and I'm only active roster person to ever receive this award too. Um, so incredibly honored, you know, to obviously be a part of the WWE family, be an integral part in our business and how does our business portray you know ten years, even ten years ago up to now with our female superstars killing it. You know, when I first started, first started wrestling, you know, they'd get like two or three minutes on a match and it'd be some, you know, some, some BS, you know what I'm saying? Right. <laughs> uh, uh, now they're the only female was like Elizabeth with Macho Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're either balleting or out there doing bikini contests or all kind of other crazy stuff. Now they're main eventing WrestleManias, you know, main eventing pay-per-views and, and uh, on the cover of video games, you know, so the evolution evolution of our company, you know, um, and you know, I, I got a chance to host WrestleMania this year um, here in Tampa at Raymond James Stadium, mm -hmm. and I got a chance to to host it, host probably the most diverse roster of talent in prominent positions ever in the history of our our business. Period. We had 
for the first time ever, two black women main event, uh, WrestleMania. Uh, first black woman to win a Royal Rumble was in, in here. You know, we had two black men fighting for the Intercontinental Championship. We had we went into uh, WrestleMania with a black champion, WWE champion, and Bobby Lashley, and the first one to go in and come out as as champion. We had uh, um, uh, a great Latino hit, you know, um, and and uh, and Bad Bunny, you know, come and do his thing, and man, he like. He's forever a WWE superstar after that performance, you know what I mean? But here's a guy that put his touring on hold and really dedicated himself to the craft and came and just knocked it completely out of the park. And, you know, to be able to sit back and kind of be a part of that and, like, be listed as the host and then, obviously, Hulk Hogan, um, who was the person that put, you know, WrestleMania on the map, being co-hosting with him, um, you know, it just brought a lot of stuff full circle like you say did I watch it growing up absolutely who you know and I'm sitting up here on stage next to Hulk Hogan who you know everybody knows who he is globally and I'm I'm running the biggest show in our company uh existence which is Wrestlemania it's our Super Bowl and uh you know you couldn't have told me this 15 years ago that I would have been been in this position but you know god has plans and when you do always tell people man consistency leads to breakthrough with all of those accomplishments and i knew you were going to be on the show i had to stalk you a little bit so i went on wikipedia and your government name is thaddeus bullard Mm -hmm. where did you get the name titus o'neill and can you paint a picture for your first ever wwe match and were you nervous yeah, so my my wrestling name comes from my youngest son's name is Titus. And uh Shaquille O'Neal was one of my favorite athletes, you know, coming up. And it wasn't just because of basketball. Shaq did movies, Shaq did music, Shaq did commercials, Shaq, Shaq had money coming, still got money coming in from everywhere. You know, every commercial. Yeah, that was the general pizza, pizza everything. Yeah. <laughs> And Big he got Jay, a burst from Biggie. Right, Condos with elevators in them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so um, I said, you know, I want to be the Shaquille O'Neal of the WWE. I want to be known more than, for more than just being a, a, a wrestler. You know, I want to be known for being an entertainer. I want to be known for being a humanitarian. I want to be known for being a businessman. I want to be known because that's who I am as an individual. And so that's how she, you know, um, and obviously they, 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 uh, they switched the, the spelling up on it. It was supposed to be O-N-E-I-A-L and then they made it. And now I'm, now I'm Irish, you know, I'm black Irish. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh, oh, they changed but, up the spelling on you. Yeah. Yeah. It's supposed to be O-N-E-A-L. And I don't know, maybe it was a, 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 a trademarking Trademark thing. Trademark rights. Yeah. So, um, but, uh, my first match, uh, was actually versus Rey Mysterio. Yeah, and you talk about nervous. It was on on SmackDown, and I was nervous. And really, honestly, like Ray Ray is such a professional, and he is so good that like he made everything like so easy. Mm-hmm. And it was just like I enjoyed every moment of it, and I was like, wow, this is what it feels like to be in the ring with somebody who's been a world champion and literally, you know, he shared, me and him share a, a, a likeness, a like 
friendship with Dave Batista. So him and Dave are very close as well. And they, you know, did a lot of stuff on television with WWE tag team. Dave turned on and beat up the little guy and all that stuff. <laughs> you brought up the Shaquille O'Neal influence. But a lot of us don't know that you're also a brother of Omega Sci-Fi. Yes. And I believe yeah, Shaq I, is too, right? Yeah, he is. Shaquille uh-huh. O'Neal. Yeah. Absolutely. And all I know is this. I used to be at those parties at Michigan and driving to Michigan State and Eastern Michigan University. And y'all be stomping around the party like school days movie. I would be like, yo, I want to be like those dudes. Y'all were the cool kids, no doubt about it. So what is it like being a part of an organization that means so much to you and still be able to carry that into the ring? Uh, It, you know, like I always, you know, I say I've never wanted to be the superstar that had to be like everything in one character, like like just engulf in one character and be and have no, like you you won't have any longevity. You know, if you sing the same type of way as a singer, you know, uh, and and you got the same lyrics pretty much every like you're not going to be in business that long. Mm-hmm. And for me. I've always wanted to make sure I incorporated who I really am into my character, my on-screen character. Um, Cause I remember even when I, you know, uh, some of the, some of my brothers used to get mad cause you know, we're in an arena with, you know, I remember WrestleMania and, um, and uh, San Francisco, you know, at, uh, at what uh, we, we were the first, one of the first people to open up Levi stadium. It's 80,000 people in there. Mm, and I, crazy. you know, I'll throw up the hooks. There you, you know, go. You got, you got these white people, Asian people, people from overseas <laughs> throwing up the hooks. You got bros like, bro, you got people out here throwing up the hooks. You know, they don't even know what that means, this and that. <laughs> and I'm like, man, listen, when when Shaq used to throw up the hooks during the basketball or when Michael Jordan throw up the hooks during basketball or when Vince Carter throw up the hooks, you know, playing basketball, uh-huh. did any of y'all ever go and talk to them and say, hey, bro, you know, you might want to, you know, do that? Absolutely not. No. Because why? That is part of who we are. We should right. have that enthusiasm about who we are as Omega men. And, uh, and if somebody mimics us, Hey, it's not a bad thing. If somebody's in China and they're doing this, they don't know what it means. Mm-hmm. That's fine. It's entertainment. It's fine. You know what I'm yes, saying? It it's is. Entertainment. Yes. You got people doing this. Correct. You know what I'm saying? You get uh-huh. mad at them because you, you ain't even from Wakanda. You ain't even black. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> hey, hey, Wakanda is a real thing. Omega Sci-Fi is a real thing. I get it. I understand. But at the end of the day, whoa, like. <laughs> You know, manhood, <laughs> scholarship, perseverance, uplift. That's what our fraternity is about. But again, like, in all honesty, I appreciate you joining me. It's been a blast. Congratulations on your SB award. Our idol, Muhammad Ali, will be proud of you, my brother. A small portion because of your athletic prowess. More likely because of your intellect, your ability to give back and also to represent our people with pride. So I appreciate you joining the show. But before I let you get out of here, I do a rapid fire segment called Gone in 60 Seconds. You ready to do this? All right, let's go. All right, you let me know your favorite WWE. Uh, You let me know your favorite WWF wrestler of all time. 
That was the junkyard dog. Well, mm -hmm. who's your favorite WWE superstar of all time? That would be Randy Orton. If we had one night in Florida, what city should we visit and where should we eat? Tampa, Florida, for Beachy Modern Italian. If you, <laughs> as Thaddeus Bullard, had a walkout theme song for your everyday life, what song would you choose? Probably God's Plan by Drake. Mm. Mm -hmm. That's a great one. And last but certainly not least, and again, I appreciate you joining me, my brother. What's the proudest moment of your career so far? Proudest moment of my career so far uh, would definitely be being inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame as a Warrior War recipient. Mm. Um, I won the tag team titles in 2015, and I won. I was the first ever 24/7 champion. But you know, being able to be you know, in the WWE Hall of Fame as a Warrior Award recipient is definitely my proudest moment. Well, I'll see you in the community giving back. I'll see you at one of your next matches with the WWE because I'm going to come support you. Again, Titus, I appreciate you joining the Renaissance, man. Thanks a lot, my brother. Thank you for having me, man. Last call. Last, Last call. call. Before I let you guys get out of here, I got to spit something from my heart. Get vaccinated. This is not political. Getting vaccinated only means if you catch coronavirus, you're unlikely to need to go to the hospital and less likely to die. That's what it means. It's like wearing a seatbelt. It doesn't mean something horrific can't happen in the crash. You may even die, but it's for prevention. It's for safety. And when we all get vaccinated, whether it's the Delta variant or COVID-19, we'll get closer to herd immunity. I just had to say that out loud. I'm the Renaissance man. But before I go, I must thank Titus O'Neill for stopping by the podcast. I love to see how people who have such a rough start power through and become a positive force and inspiration for young people to do the same. I definitely can't wait to work with him in the WWE or in the community or anywhere in the near future. He's doing that charity that makes it to the hood. And it was interesting to hear him talk about how he and his fellow WWE superstar, now Hollywood actor friend, Batista, got him into pro wrestling. Even though even though, initially, he didn't want to do it. You heard me. Initially, he didn't want to do it. Now, he's one of the biggest names in the WWE. And it's allowed him to give back in ways he never imagined. Sometimes, others see something in us that we don't see in ourselves. Take time to listen. And also remain open to possibilities outside of what you imagine for your life you'll never know where it might take you. i'm the renaissance man see you next week